0: Section 12 of Volume 1F of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Dennison History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by david hume volume 1 f section 12 chapter 65 part 3 errors of this nature in private life have often as bad an influence as miscarriages in which the public is more immediately concerned another incident happened this year which infused a general displeasure and still greater apprehensions into all men the duchess of york died and in her last sickness she made open profession of the romish religion and finished her life in that communion this put an end to that thin disguise which the duke had hitherto worn and he now openly declared his conversion to the church of rome unaccountable terrors of popery ever since the accession of the house of stuart had prevailed throughout the nation but these had formerly been found so groundless and had been employed to so many bad purposes that surmises of this nature were likely to meet with the less credit among all men of sense and nothing but the duke's imprudent bigotry could have convinced the whole nation of his change of religion popery which had hitherto been only a hideous spectre was now become a real ground of terror being openly and zealously embraced by the heir to the crown a prince of industry and enterprise while the king himself was not entirely free from like suspicions it is probable that the new alliance with france inspired the duke with the courage to make open profession of his religion and rendered him more careless of the affections and esteem of the english this alliance became every day more apparent temple was declared to be no longer ambassador to the states and downing whom the dutch regarded as the inveterate enemy of their republic was sent over in his stead a ground of quarrel was sought by means of a yacht despatched for lady temple the captain sailed through the dutch fleet which lay on their own coasts and he had orders to make them strike to fire on them and to persevere till they should return his fire the dutch admiral van Gendt, surprised at this bravado came on board the yacht and expressed his willingness to pay respect to the british flag according to former practice but that a fleet on their own coast should strike to a single vessel and that not a ship of war was he said such an innovation that he durst not without express orders agree to it the captain thinking it dangerous as well as absurd to renew firing in the midst of the dutch fleet Continued his course, and for that neglect of orders was committed to the tower. This incident, however, furnished Downing with a new article to increase those vain pretences on which it was purposed to ground the intended rupture. The English court delayed several months before they complained, lest, if they had demanded satisfaction more early, the Dutch might have had time to grant it. Even when Downing delivered his memorial, he was bound by his instructions not to accept of any satisfaction after a certain number of days, a very imperious manner of negotiating, and impracticable in Holland, where the forms of the Republic render delays absolutely unavoidable. An answer, however, though refused by Downing, was sent over to London, with an ambassador extraordinary, who had orders to use every expedient that might give satisfaction to the court of England. That court replied that the answer of the Hollanders was ambiguous and obscure, but they would not specify the articles or expressions which were liable to that objection. The Dutch ambassador desired the English ministry to draw the answer in what terms they pleased, and he engaged to sign it. The English ministry replied that it was not their business to draw papers for the Dutch. The ambassador brought them the draft of an article, and asked them whether it were satisfactory the english answered that when he had signed and delivered it they would tell him their mind concerning it the dutchman resolved to sign it at a venture and on his demanding a new audience an hour was appointed for that purpose but when he attended the english refused to enter upon business and told him that the season for negotiating was now past long and frequent prorogations were made of the parliament lest the houses should declare themselves with vigour against counsels so opposite to the inclination as well as interest of the public could we suppose that charles in his alliance against holland really meant the good of his people that measure must pass for an extraordinary nay a romantic strain of patriotism which could lead him in spite of all difficulties and even in spite of themselves, to seek the welfare of the nation. But every step which he took in this affair became a proof to all men of penetration that the present war was intended against the religion and liberties of his own subjects, even more than against the Dutch themselves. He now acted in everything as if he were already an absolute monarch, and was never more to lie under the control of national assemblies the long prorogations of parliament if they freed the king from the importunate remonstrances of that assembly were however attended with this inconvenience that no money could be procured to carry on the military preparations against holland under pretense of maintaining the triple league which at that very time he had firmly resolved to break charles had obtained a large supply from the commons but this money was soon exhausted by debts and expenses. France had stipulated to pay two hundred thousand pounds a year during the war, but that supply was inconsiderable compared to the immense charge of the English navy. It seemed as yet premature to venture on levying money without consent of Parliament, since the power of taxing themselves was the privilege of which the English were with reason particularly jealous some other resource must be fallen on the king had declared that the staff of treasurer was ready for any one that could find an expedient for supplying the present necessities shaftesbury dropped a hint to clifford which the latter immediately seized and carried to the king who granted him the promised reward together with a peerage this expedient was the shutting up of the exchequer and the retaining of all the payments which should be made into it. It had been usual for the bankers to carry their money to the exchequer, and to advance it upon security of the funds, by which they were afterwards reimbursed when the money was levied on the public. The bankers by this traffic got eight, sometimes ten percent, for sums which either had been consigned to them without interest, or which they had borrowed at six percent profits which they dearly paid for by this egregious breach of public faith the measure was so suddenly taken that none had warning of the danger a general confusion prevailed in the city followed by the ruin of many the bankers stopped payment the merchants could answer no bills distrust took place everywhere with a stagnation of commerce by which the public was universally affected and men full of dismal apprehensions asked each other what must be the scope of those mysterious counsels whence the parliament and all men of honour were excluded and which commenced by the forfeiture of public credit and an open violation of the most solemn engagements both foreign and domestic another measure of the court contained something laudable when considered in itself but if we reflect on the motive whence it proceeded as well as the time when it was embraced it will furnish a strong proof of the arbitrary and dangerous counsels pursued at present by the king and his ministry charles resolved to make use of his supreme power in ecclesiastical matters a power he said which was not only inherent in him but which had been recognized by several acts of parliament by virtue of this authority he issued a proclamation suspending the penal laws enacted against all nonconformists or recusants whatsoever and granted to the protestant dissenters the public exercise of their religion to the catholics the exercise of it in private houses a fruitless experiment of this kind opposed by the parliament and retracted by the king had already been made a few years after the restoration but charles expected that the parliament whenever it should meet would now be tamed to greater submission and would no longer dare to control his measures meanwhile the dissenters the most inveterate enemies of the court were mollified by these indulgent maxims and the catholics under their shelter enjoy more liberty than the laws had hitherto allowed them at the same time the act of navigation was suspended by royal will and pleasure a measure which though a stretch of prerogative seemed useful to commerce while all the seamen were employed on board the royal navy a like suspension had been granted during the first dutch war and was not much remarked because men had at that time entertained less jealousy of the crown A proclamation was also issued, containing rigorous clauses in favor of pressing, another full of menaces against those who presumed to speak undutifully of His Majesty's measures, and even against those who heard such discourse, unless they informed in due time against the offenders, another against importing or vending any sort of painted earthenware, except those of China upon pain of being grievously fined and suffering the utmost punishment which might be lawfully inflicted upon contemners of his majesty's royal authority an army had been levied and it was found that discipline could not be enforced without the exercise of martial law which was therefore established by order of council, though contrary to the petition of right all these acts of power how little importance soever in themselves savored strongly of arbitrary government and were nowise suitable to that legal administration which the parliament after such violent convulsions and civil wars had hoped to have established in the kingdom it may be worth remarking that the lord keeper refused to affix the great seal to the declaration for suspending the penal laws And was for that reason, though under other pretences, removed from his office. Shaftesbury was made chancellor in his place, and thus another member of the cabal received the reward of his counsels. Foreign transactions kept pace with these domestic occurrences. An attempt, before the declaration of war, was made on the Dutch Smyrna fleet by Sir Robert Holmes. This fleet consisted of seventy sail valued at a million and a half and the hopes of seizing so rich a prey had been a great motive for engaging charles in the present war and he had considered that capture as a principal resource for supporting his military enterprises holmes with nine frigates and three yachts had orders to go on this command and he passed sprague in the channel who was returning with a squadron from a cruise in the mediterranean sprague informed him of the near approach of the hollanders and had not holmes from a desire of engrossing the honor and profit of the enterprise kept the secret of his orders the conjunction of these squadrons had rendered the success infallible when holmes approached the dutch he put on an amicable appearance and invited the admiral Van S., who commanded the convoy to come on board of him one of his captains gave a like insidious invitation to the rear admiral but these officers were on their guard they had received an intimation of the hostile intentions of the english and had already put all the ships of war and merchantmen in an excellent posture of defence three times were they valiantly assailed by the english and as often did they valiantly defend themselves in the third attack one of the dutch ships of war was taken and three or four of their most inconsiderable merchantmen fell into the enemy's hands the rest fighting with skill and courage continued their course and favored by a mist got safe into their own harbors this attempt is denominated perfidious and piratical by the dutch writers, and even by many of the english it merits at least the appellation of irregular and as it had been attended with bad success it brought double shame upon the contrivers the english ministry endeavoured to apologise for the action by pretending that it was a casual rencounter arising from the obstinacy of the dutch in refusing the honours of the flag but the contrary was so well known that even Holmes himself had not the assurance to persist in this asseveration. Till this incident, the states, notwithstanding all the menaces and preparations of the English, never believed them thoroughly in earnest, and had always expected that the affair would terminate either in some demands of money or in some proposals for the advancement of the prince of Orange. The French themselves had never much reckoned on assistance from England, and scarcely could believe that their ambitious projects would contrary to every maxim of honor and policy be forwarded by that power which was most interested and most able to oppose them but charles was too far advanced to retreat he immediately issued a declaration of war against the dutch and surely reasons more false and frivolous never were employed to justify a flagrant violation of treaty some complaints are there made of injuries done to the east india company which yet that company disavowed the detention of some english in surinam is mentioned though it appears that these persons had voluntarily remained there the refusal of a dutch fleet on their own coast to strike to an english yacht is much aggravated and to piece up all these pretensions some abusive pictures are mentioned and represented as a ground of quarrel the dutch were long at a loss what to make of this article till it was discovered that a portrait of cornelius de witt brother to the pensionary painted by order of certain magistrates of dort and hung up in a chamber of the town-house had given occasion to the complaint in the perspective of this portrait the painter had drawn some ships on fire in a harbor this was construed to be chatham where De Witt had really distinguished himself, and had acquired honor. But little did he imagine that while the insult itself committed in open war had so long been forgiven, the picture of it should draw such severe vengeance upon his country. The conclusion of this manifesto, where the king still professed his resolution of adhering to the Triple Alliance, was of a peace with the rest of it. Lewis's declaration of war contained more dignity, if undisguised violence and injustice could merit that appellation. He pretended only that the behavior of the Hollanders had been such that it did not consist with his glory any longer to bear. That monarch's preparations were in great forwardness, and his ambition was flattered with the most promising views of success. Sweden was detached from the Triple League, The Bishop of Munster was engaged by the payment of subsidies to take part with France. The Elector of Cologne had entered into the same alliance, and having consigned Bonn and other towns into the hands of Louis, magazines were there erected, and it was from that quarter that France purposed to invade the United Provinces. The standing force of that kingdom amounted to a hundred and eighty thousand men. And with more than half of this great army was the French king now approaching to the Dutch frontiers. The order, economy, and industry of Colbert, equally subservient to the ambition of the prince and happiness of the people, furnished unexhausted treasures. These employed by the unrelenting vigilance of Louvois, supplied every military preparation and facilitated all the enterprises of the army conde Touraine seconded by Luxembourg, craqui and the most renowned generals of the age conducted this army and by their conduct and reputation inspired courage into every one the monarch himself surrounded with a brave nobility animated his troops by the prospect of reward or what was more valued by the hopes of his approbation the fatigues of war gave no interruption to gaiety its dangers furnished matter for glory and in no enterprise did the genius of that gallant and polite people ever break out with more distinguished lustre though de witt's intelligence in foreign courts was not equal to the vigilance of his domestic administration he had long before received many surmises of this fatal confederacy but he prepared not for defence so early or with such industry as the danger required a union of england with france was evidently he saw destructive to the interest of the former kingdom and therefore overlooking or ignorant of the humors and secret views of charles he concluded it impossible that such pernicious projects could ever really be carried into execution secure in this fallacious reasoning he allowed the republic to remain too long in that defenseless situation into which many concurring accidents had conspired to throw her by a continued and successful application to commerce the people were become unwarlike and confided entirely for their defence in that mercenary army which they maintained after the treaty of westphalia the states trusting to their peace with spain and their alliance with france had broken a great part of this army, and did not support with sufficient vigilance the discipline of the troops which remained. When the aristocratic party prevailed, it was thought prudent to dismiss many of the old experienced officers who were devoted to the house of Orange, and their place was supplied by raw youths, the sons or kinsmen of burgomasters, by whose interest the party was supported these new officers relying on the credit of their friends and family neglected their military duty and some of them it is said were even allowed to serve by deputies to whom they assigned a small part of their pay during the war with england all the forces of that nation had been disbanded lewis's invasion of flanders followed by the triple league occasioned the dismission of the french regiments and the place of these troops which had ever had a chief share in the honor and fortune of all the wars in the low countries had not been supplied by any new levies end of section twelve chapter sixty five part three recording by jim dennison j i m d e n i s o n voice dot com